Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to How To Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. In each episode, your host, Kate Campbell, brings in a variety of guests to explore everything from buying shares to starting your own business, all with the aim of kickstarting your personal finance journey. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. Luke, thank you so much for joining me on the How To Money podcast today. Oh, so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, before we get into today's big episode, I was wondering if you could give listeners like the 30-second elevator pitch on you and the organization you work for. Yeah, so I'm the executive director of an organization called Giving What We Can, and we're a community of effective givers, but we also provide the support, community, and information that people need to do the most good with their charitable donations. Ultimately, our mission is to create a culture where people give more effectively and more significantly. And if you listen to the end, we can send you a free downloadable giving guide and a book on the topic of effective altruism. Awesome. Well, there's a good incentive to keep listening throughout this episode today. And Luke, You mentioned the topic of effective giving there, and that might be a good place to start just to open up the conversation. What is the the concept of effective giving? Yeah, so effective giving is uh, looking at how we can do the most good with our donations. And so specifically when it comes to charity, some charities are tens, hundreds or thousands of times more impactful than others, and some charities accidentally do harm, and and we don't know that until we look at what they actually do. Um, I can talk more about that. Uh, specifically around charities in a moment, but it's also part of the broader idea of effective altruism, which is looking at how we can use our resources more generally. So not just our money, but also our time and other resources like political and uh, social capital, things like that, to do the most good. So looking at how we can do the most good and then taking action on the basis of what we discover. So rather than just donating to whatever firms raising funds at your work or just to the the local organization, actually looking into things a little bit more to see how your money can be used more effectively. Yeah. And the state of the world is such that each of us do have quite an incredible opportunity to improve it through charitable giving, especially if we give effectively. And so if we give more and give more effectively, uh, we're multiplying our impact and bringing about the change that we want to see in the world just much sooner. But it doesn't just end there. Uh, If we want to see the change that that we want to see in the world, uh, it often helps to talk about it too, because humans are social animals and that's 
we do what we see others doing. So what we do matters not just because of the direct outcomes, but also how we influence other people. And giving what we can is also known for our giving what we can pledge, which is to not just give more and more effectively, but to make a public commitment to do so as well. And the theory is if we want other people to value compassion and commitment to others, then we can speed up the process by being public about our commitment and helping to influence others in the process. And I think it's a little bit about even that personal finance discussion of actually talking about it in public. It starts opening up that conversation for a lot more people. And now there's a whole, like the financial independence community, there's a whole community for effective givers now all around the world. And I know even Australia has its own branches as well. Yeah, absolutely. In Australia, we have, I think, about 500 people who've taken the Giving What We Can pledge, and we have many, uh, many other people who are giving with a focus on effectiveness. I'm also on the board of a charity uh, called Effective Altruism Australia, which helps Australians to give to some of the highest impact charities in working in global health and development to relieve poverty and improve health outcomes for those who are poorest in the world. And yeah, there are thousands of people who donate by that. We moved $4 million uh, in the last financial year, and that's growing at quite a rapid rate, which is really great to see so many people uh, seeing this opportunity to do a lot of good and, and taking it. Is effective altruism different to effective giving? Yeah, so effective altruism is just looking at other resources outside of money and charitable giving. So it includes effective giving, but it also includes people looking at high-impact careers and other ways of doing good, for example, using social and political capital. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting to think about it because I don't think we often think about how our career can be used as well for that. Yeah. Um, Well, we spend a lot of time with our careers and this 80,000 hours roughly is what we're spending, which is the name of our sister organization, 80,000 hours, uh, which help people find how they can use all of that time they're spending to do as much good as they can based on their own personal fit and what the world needs. So. Yeah, there's quite an opportunity there as well. Yeah, and I think the 80,000 Hours website's a great resource, especially for young people just at uni trying to figure out what they want to do. There's just so many career resources on there. Yeah, and it's such a leverage point in your life as well where you have so much time ahead of you and the decisions that you're making now can really put you on a different path. So it's particularly good for people uh, when they're young to start thinking about these things. And it's also great. We're seeing that at the moment as... Gen Z are entering the workforce and also with millennials before them, one of the biggest reported things that people look for in their work is to do things that are meaningful. And it's really great to see that appetite and to be able to channel that into some of the you know, most important problems that the world faces, I think is, is really fantastic. Speaking of doing things that are meaningful, I think one of the ways that we can find meaning in giving is knowing how far our dollars is going. And one of the ideas that sort of I heard about from Peter Singer was just that cost to save a life is actually a lot more affordable than one could think, isn't it? Yeah, it's actually, it's quite interesting. Some people think it's incredibly cheap to save a life because they hear a charity ad saying, you know, $20 could save a life with could being the work that does a lot of work. (laughs) How much does it actually roughly cost in expectation? It's about three to five thousand dollars, which might sound like a lot, but it's also a lot less than what we spend in like a country like Australia. So, in Australia, we'll spend about seventy five thousand dollars per year of quality adjusted life, whereas uh, in many places in the world, by spending on things like you know pretty basic stuff that we we have in Australia, like uh, medicines to prevent uh, diseases with particularly be bad health outcomes or on economic development 
you can for about three to five thousand dollars you can have the equivalent of saving an entire life so compared to seventy five thousand dollars for one year of life that's a huge difference and then you also go to think about all of the flow on effects of that as well so for every life that you're saving you're improving many many lives as well and we can often get stuck in the idea that we have to be in healthcare or defense or maybe a firefighter to actually save people's lives but we can actually use our resources from our income to do that as well. Yeah, one member who gives 10% of their income shared with me that you know Monday mornings are often the hardest thing for them even though they love their job it's just really hard to get out of bed and face the you know barrage of emails and things that they see on a Monday morning and they say look you know 10% that's roughly half a day in five and so Every Monday morning, I get out of bed and it's a lot more palatable because I know that I'm going to give that money uh, to help those who need it most. And yeah, I think there is this just a huge opportunity uh, to help others, but it can really give us that peace of mind and that kind of energy when we're pursuing things uh, that we know are really important. And one of the great things about giving is you can pick and find organizations that you're interested in and you can actually learn more about them and become sort of passionate and advocates for them as well. And what are some of the most sort of pressing issues that you think need our attention at the moment? Yeah, so currently our top recommended causes focus on kind of three or four broad areas of global health and development, improving animal welfare, safeguarding the long-term future and promoting effective altruism. And we think that by supporting these high-impact causes, you can make a really enormous difference. And you see, these uh, high-impact causes are identified based on a three-factor framework that we use. So it's scale, neglectedness, and tractability. So a scale uh, is that a cause area that is large, that affects a lot of individuals or affects them a lot, that makes it really big. And uh, for neglectedness, if something is not getting a lot of attention or funding, it's probably not getting what it needs and it's probably not having a lot of the low-hanging fruit picked. So then it could be quite a high priority and quite a great opportunity. And finally, with tractability, it means that it's easier to solve or address the problem. And so if a cause has tractable solutions, that means we can actually make progress on it. So you might have a really important problem, but nothing you can do about it. And so between those things, we can help identify that there are these huge opportunities it actually tends to be very correlated with those who have the least ability to advocate for themselves. So you think of a country like Australia, someone like me, I'm you know, middle income in Australia, I'm in a country that I have the right to vote in, this is one of the wealthiest countries in the world. It's unlikely that I'm the person in the world who uh, you know, an additional dollar uh, going towards something that would help me is going to have a huge difference, especially because we find that uh, after depending on the study, $75,000 to $200,000, depending on where you are in the world and how you calculate it. But essentially, once financial insecurity is no longer a concern, which often can be partly to do with how you uh, manage your expenses, which I'm sure your listeners are very aware of, once financial insecurity is no longer a worry, the additional funding that we spend on ourselves really starts to tap out. And so when you're looking to spend money on those who it will benefit the most, it's often those who... Uh, aren't able to advocate for themselves to get things to the whole society and world to work in their favor. So it might be people in low-income nations uh, who a lot of resources have been you know, taken from. Uh, they uh, have your really difficult conditions and just helping them uh, get a leg up so that they can uh, deal with the things facing them and get you know, better educated and, and economic development. You also find this is the case with animals. Uh, so animals we generally use and abuse without uh, them having any say in the matter. So if you give to things which can help them, uh, it can have a lot of impact. 
And similarly, we see this with future generations. They don't get a vote. They don't get to use purchasing power to change how society is set up to help them. But if we give with them in mind, we can have an outsized impact. And under this framework you've got, what are some of the organisations that you're currently recommending under that? Yeah, so we have a page on the Giving What We Can website, which stays up to date with our latest recommendations. But a few ones that come to mind that would be good for your listeners to consider are in global health and development, there's the Against Malaria Foundation that distributes insecticide-treated bed nets. Evidence Action um, has a few programs, but in particular, the Deworm the World one, which uh, prevents uh, intestinal uh, worms and treats it and give directly, which does cash transfers. They're three ones that are really worth looking into that help people alive today who need it the most. In terms of animals, I recommend Faunalytics, the Humane League, and the Wild Animal Initiative. These are three of animal charity evaluators' top recommended charities. And if you're looking at some of these other topics that you know help improve the lives of people in the future, Clean Air Task Force does some really good work in climate change. The Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security does really good work in biosecurity. So you know, preventing uh, some of the next pandemics that could be you know pretty disastrous, uh, much worse than COVID. And the Center for the Governance of AI, which is looking to ensure that as these new technologies, artificial intelligence, um, become much and much more powerful and integrated into our lives, that they uh, end up serving us as best as they can and we avoid some of the worst case scenarios. Some great suggestions there. One of the things that I've personally struggled with is as I've learned more about effective giving and how far my dollars can potentially go for organizations overseas, how balancing trying to donate to organizations in my own country, Australia, versus donating overseas where potentially they need the money just as much, if not more. How do you sort of balance that in your head? Yeah. So there are a lot of different ways that people approach this. Personally, I have like discretionary uh, spending for things that um, not necessarily where I think the money is most needed, but I might have some personal reason to give to. So I have a policy that I almost always support uh, anyone in, who I know is doing a fundraiser. If I think that it's at least a net positive thing, what I'm supporting is a you know, friend or a family member looking outside of themselves and, and, and I'm supporting that compassion. I'm giving some amount of money to the cause that might have varying degrees of impact. But what I really care about in that case is supporting a loved one and uh, support and encouraging compassion. And, you know, I might budget for other things like uh, supporting the rescue that uh, we got our cats from because there's that kind of, that's a special consideration that it's more of a service that I have a stake in and, like you know, that has a personal connection. But supporting them, it, it, those types of things is a much smaller part of my giving budget versus what I uh, dedicate to doing the most good I can with it. And I see that as like guilty pledges, things that are like really might help my warm fuzzies, uh, which you know, make me feel good. And then other things which really align highly with my values and what I really want to see in the world. Yeah, I think it's a little bit different because sometimes when you give to organizations in Australia, you can directly see your impacts or you can get acknowledgement for that if you're donating <laughs> in your local community. But when you're um, often when you're donating overseas, you might not ever personally see what the money sort of impacts. Yeah, and that's a real challenge uh, is that humans... Giving is a really uh, empathy-led behavior, yet we've experienced a lot less less empathy for those who are less similar to us and further away from us in uh, both space and time. So there is a bit of work to get yourself in that headspace. Uh, and this is something we look at a lot at Giving What We Can, uh, is trying to help people see beyond their immediate sphere c- to consider the lives of people further away from them 
to consider the lives of people who are yet to be born, to consider the lives of animals, because those are where there are a lot of people and animals that could be helped, those who are you know, quite neglected, and where there is a lot of opportunity for impact. But things like suffering and loss are things that are familiar to all of us. Also, things like flourishing and, and, and good times and well-being are things that we all cherish. And so we can attach our values and our kind of emotion and compassion to the core values that we have around increasing well-being and, and decreasing suffering, and then trying to allocate that to where it can do the most good on those criteria that are core values for most people. I think that's a that's a good way of framing it. And I often talk about sort of aligning your spending with your values. And if you come back to what do you actually value? And I think for me, coming to terms of supporting in Australia and outside of Australia has been looking at how can I help with education? Because that's something I personally value and I can support people in Australia and outside of Australia with that and try to sort of frame it that way. Yeah, I think a really uh, interesting exercise that I found really helpful and, and I see people find really helpful is actually articulating and interrogating values. Because at the end of the day, a lot of the time, what we think are our values may not turn out to be if we really interrogate them. And I've experienced that uh, personally. Things that I thought were intrinsic values turned out to be extrinsic values. And even come back to money uh, you know, with the audience here, some people tend to value money in and of itself. And when they start to interrogate that, they realize, well, actually, no, I, I, I value what money affords me. It, it might be not feeling insecure. It might be able to you know, buy the things that I need to survive or certain things that I want. And those things that I want, what are they giving me? Well, you know, clothing and stuff may be status or it may be that you actually really like fashion. And those two things are very different. If, if you have this aesthetic appreciation versus something which is actually trying to deal with a fear, you know, of not being uh, seen to be as, you know, keeping up with the Joneses or anything like that. So really interrogating values is a really good way of um, living the life that you want and, and being aligned with how you're spending your time and money. And so, um, as I mentioned before, the example of, well, why do I value money um, or why do I value education? And going, well, it improves lives in the, these kinds of ways. Well, can I attack that problem more directly? <laughs> and that's often a really good way of thinking about this. And if you do decide that you value helping others and you want to contribute more and start giving more effectively, I know you mentioned the Effective Giving Pledge earlier in the episode, which is 10% of your income for working your working life, which to <laughs> me sounds like pretty high to start with. Yeah. So that is uh, something that many people have found good to build community around and trying to like change norms. But we do just encourage people to take their first step and make their first donation, whatever the amount is. There is this effect where we find our behavior sometimes uh, changes our minds. And so like we can become our better selves by first changing our behavior. And so giving that first donation to something that's really impactful and then giving another one or ideally setting up something recurring. We have a trial pledge with giving what we can as well, where people pick a percentage of their choice for a period of time just to try out the idea of being structured around their giving and being intentional. And many people then go on to say, look, this was really fulfilling. I want to get on board with uh, changing the norms around giving to make a public pledge that's at an amount which is high enough that it's really meaningful and more than you would otherwise give and more than people give on average, but not so high that it's unsustainable um, and too scary to even try. 
So most people in rich countries like Australia would be in the top 3% uh, of income earners in the world, and many Australians are in the top 1% if they're in the top half of income earners. And even after giving 10% of their income, we'd still be in the top 1% to 3% of richest people in the world. So I often think about it this way, like, would I take a job that pays uh, me 90% of my current income uh, if it was much more meaningful? And the answer was without a doubt, yes, well... I, I just did that when I took this uh, role at Giving What We Can. I took a big pay cut and I still give because really I have a good idea of what I need and what makes me happy and what makes my life good. And then I know that there's a lot left over that I could use to improve the world. And if someone's interested in starting with a more structured approach they're giving rather than just sort of like 50 here and there when they think about it or, oh, it's tax time, I better get some <laughs> donations in. How would you go about approaching that? Yeah. So, you know, say it's really worthwhile actually having a quick reflection. So I'm sure your audience uh, are ones that think about how they do this spending more than most. So they probably have actually a pretty good idea of what their budget looks like and going, okay, well, let's start with a point which I think is really within reach and sustainable and then take it from there. I've seen people use a few different things. One is going, okay, I'm going to increase my giving by 1% of income each year until this particular target year. I'm going to give, you know, start giving 1% of my income, but each time I get a raise, I might give half or a third of that to charity, knowing that I actually already know that I'm getting a raise and my standard of uh, living is going up and i wouldn't see a lot of this anyway. (laughs) So yeah, there are different strategies that people find quite helpful. Uh, But at the end of the day, I think just sitting down and going, let's let's try a giving strategy that I think is really aligned with my values and my financial situation and try it on for a while and then commit to reviewing at some point and be ambitious. Like (laughs) don't be competitive with anyone else but yourself, but, and don't give to a point that's unsustainable. But be ambitious. If you care about uh, improving the world and you can see that this is a really good way of doing so, you, know, you can do a lot of good and that can be pretty pretty encouraging and, and pretty motivating. What are your thoughts on giving now versus giving later in life? Because I know sometimes we think, oh, well, why don't I wait until I'm financially secure or financially independent and then, oh, it'll be easy to give. Yeah, this really depends on people's personal financial situations and what they mean by secure. When financial security is a bit of a slippery definition for a lot of people. I know some people who consider themselves financially secure on a small income with no savings because they have a secure fallback as their family or living in a country like Australia, which has a pretty good social safety net. I know others who have more money in the bank than most people will ever earn and a high income with a strong safety net, but still don't consider themselves secure. <laughs> so that really uh, does depend on where people are at when they really investigate their finances. It can make sense to give much more later in life. Some of my giving personally is going to increase as I age and I plan to give most of what I have uh, before I die from my estate, partly because I have ethical qualms about the intergenerational wealth transfer that's leading to ever-increasing inequality. But that aside, um, if I didn't start giving when I was younger, I'm uncertain I would have the fortitude to start later. And there's a good chance that I would have simply just spent the money instead of saved it to give later. Actually, the reason that I started giving when I did was I'd been reading a lot of behavioral psychology around things like as our income increases, our spending typically fills the space of the income that we now have. And so I was on a reasonably low income when I started giving. 
And I was like, well, I don't want this to happen to me. I don't want to just let my expenses um, inflate. And of course they did to some extent, but by doing a combination of giving and saving when I was quite young and keeping my expenses uh, small, I'm now in a position where I am pretty comfortable uh, with things and I am able to plan out for a pretty long time how I want to give. And that is quite an exciting situation to be in. It can make sense to give later for some, but uh, it can also be more tax efficient to (laughs) give earlier as well while you're earning income instead of once you've finished earning income because that's actually deductible every year that you're giving. And if you are like really holding off uh, to give later, uh, but you are intending to give that money and say, for example, you think that it might be worth investing now to give later, you can do that in a more tax efficient way by using something like a donor advised fund. Yeah, I know. We love our tax deductions here in Australia. More than anywhere on earth, I think. Honestly, it's it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, it was something because I found I was just giving very sporadically when people were doing sort of fun runs and things like that. And I wanted to, after learning a bit more a few years ago, I wanted to make it more intentional because I wanted it to reflect who I am. And so having a separate savings account where an automatic transfer was made mm-hmm. each month and if that that could be $5 depending on how much you're earning or it could be $1000 like but i think it's just that deliberate act of putting money aside to give rather than just going oh yeah i think i made a donation like 6 months ago oh yeah. maybe i love the um separate bank accounts i use that for a few things i have like a holidays fund uh, which yeah, during covid has been accruing uh, <laughs> which yeah this means we go to take a holiday we're like oh we actually have money for this <laughs> similarly i did the same thing uh for giving for a while when i was in a situation where my income and job situation was changing a lot i, I just like set up automated transfers to a different bank account when i hadn't decided how i wanted to spend that year's donations and then i'd give from that at the end of the year once kind of in a one off fashion i've also done things like workplace giving which some people might be in a situation to do, which comes out of your pre-tax income and your employer sends it to a charity and you, you don't have to do anything, which is great. It's really easy. And uh, the only downside is when you move employers, you may forget to set it up again. <laughs> That's one thing to bear in mind. But yeah, there are a few different ways of approaching it. Yeah. And what about, do you have any other strategies for people who possibly aren't in a position to give right now? They're just getting on their feet, but they do want to give back and make a greater impact in the world. Yeah. So if you're not in a position to give, simply then don't. Like focus on getting yourself to a stage where money isn't a stressor. Then as your situation improves, you might start to use some of your money or, or time to help with some of these big world problems. Volunteering is something that can be pretty helpful, though it can be incredibly uh, variable as to how helpful it is. So this is something that I do struggle with, uh, is giving people good advice on this front, because Skilled volunteering where people actually really follow through can be incredibly valuable to a charity. We've just had an incredible volunteer help us with our rebrand, for example. And we've had like people do some data science and things like that. It's incredibly helpful. But volunteering is something that can often end up costing a charity more than it helps them. And that's a terrible situation to have. (laughs) And so it is something that can be worth doing. Though you might be in a better position to improve your skills, uh, you know, improve your career, get to a point where not only can you give, but you might be a better skilled volunteer as well. And the other thing too is there are just things that all of us have the opportunity to act on, things where we can use our social and political capital. So in political capital, you've got things like you know, voting for candidates who are more likely to have policies which help those uh, who need it. So whether that's things that are more you know, 
friendly to animals, things that are better for the climate or you know, improves our energy usage and things that de-risk future generations, like better biosecurity protocols and things like that. Like look at the policies that are in government. Uh, then you've got things like, well, you know, show up to protest or think when the right things happen. These things can be pretty low cost to us. That can be quite high leverage sometimes. And then our social capital is, yeah, even if you're not in a position to give a lot, maybe you giving a little bit and uh, being bought into the idea of the thing that you're supporting makes it a lot easier to talk with people in your life um, who may be in a position to give a lot more uh, or to do other things like work on the problem directly. And so being informed and being educated about what some of the biggest problems in the world are and what they can do to help and what help is needed in terms of both funding and, and skills just that knowledge alone is something that can help influence those around you to be more likely to help in the ways that the world needs. So even just being informed about things can be really helpful. And that's a good way to actually use our time to greater impact rather than just spending all weekend on Netflix. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I will say uh, things like podcasts, like you're on now, can be really, really helpful at that. Some of some really high quality stuff out there. I do recommend, you know, 80,000 Hours, who I mentioned earlier, they, ha- uh, they have a podcast at Giving What We Can. We have one. It's been in a hiatus at That's Restart. So shameless plug to go check that out. But yeah, there are a lot of other ones. Future Perfect is one that I recommend uh, strongly from Vox. That looks a lot of these uh, big world problems and what you can do to solve them. So you mentioned some podcasts, but are there any other resources that you recommend that my listeners check out if they're interested in thinking a bit more about how they can use their time and money to have a greater impact in the world. Yeah, so uh, two books that I recommend, Doing Good Better by Will McCaskill, who's one of our founders. And in fact, we're going to include a link to the show notes if you'd like to get, request a free copy. You can also get a giving guide there as well, which gives, you know, outlines some of the problems that I talked about and how you can help solve them with, uh, through donations. Another one that I recommend uh, by our other co-founder is The Precipice by Toby Ord. And that looks at some of these big problems uh, that are facing the world uh, that are going to affect future generations. So things like climate change, like uh, nuclear security, bio-risk, artificial intelligence, great power wars, things that could you know, really threaten the future of humanity and some of the ways we might reduce the risk of these things happening and, and improve the world for future generations. Two wonderful books. And I'll make sure I put the the link in the show notes so everyone can get their hands on a copy. And Luke, if people want to learn a bit more about you or check out some of those organizations that you mentioned, where should they head to? Yeah, head to givingwhatwecan.org is givingwhatwecan.org. And uh, we have links to cause area reports, looking at some of these big issues and giving you more information on how you can use not just your donations, but we also point to things that you can do with your career and and, and other opportunities. And we also have pages on some of our top recommended charities and links to go donate to them. One thing I would also mention is that we also have links to funds, which are ways that donors can put their resources together. So donate into a pool that then can be regranted based off expert uh, grant making advice. So sometimes it's kind of like investing in an angel fund where a bunch of angel investors put their money in, find these really high impact opportunities. Some of them might be super impactful um, once at the end of the you know, once they're actually implemented, but it could be early stage grants as well. And others, they just look at some of these top rated charities and see which of them has the greatest need for funding at any point in time. Those in Australia can use Effective Altruism Australia, which has a undirected donation as well, uh, option as well. So donors can say, look, whatever the best advice is at any point in time, I want my money to go there. It's 
kind of like having a fund which just moves to the best charity at, at any point in time. So it keeps people's giving effective as opposed to you know, it moving around and people having to stay up to date themselves. Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure they're all in the show notes. They sound like some really good resources to check out. And Luke, thank you so much again for joining me on the How To Money podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was really lovely chatting. Thank you for listening to this episode of the How To Money podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at howtomoneyaus and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money podcast.